of James. We have completed James chapter 1, and we are now starting with James chapter 2. And we'll be reading the first 13 verses of the chapter. James chapter 2. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in a vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say to him, Sit thou here in a good place. And say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But... If ye respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. And now our text, verses 12 and 13. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath shown no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against mercy. Judgment. Those two verses are our text this evening. Beloved in our Lord Jesus, our text talks about judgment. Are you ready for the judgment day? Are you ready to stand before your Lord, your God, who created the heavens and the earth? And who sent Jesus Christ down to earth in his mercy for us. Are you ready for the judgment day? It is coming soon. For Jesus said, didn't he? Behold, I come quickly. And we see that in the events around us, don't we? If I think of the number of tornadoes and floods, famines in other places, We can hear the footsteps of Jesus coming in judgment against this sinful world. So what does the judgment day have to do with the passage that we're looking at here, James chapter 2? And the answer is everything. James writes that we have to be doers of the word, not only hearers. That is, we have to be receive the implanted word with meekness. We sit now as disciples at Jesus' feet as he instructs us about our life. And here in James, he tells us that only those who are doers of the word will enter into the kingdom of God. All people, all people will be judged according to their works. In James chapter 2, the apostle lays down specific injunctions 
for us. Especially now, this whole first part of the chapter is about partiality. How do we treat one another in the church? And then he lays down the principle behind it. Why do we treat everyone alike in the church, not showing partiality to those who are rich? And the answer is, because of God's mercy to us, we show mercy to one another. As I prepared this text, I remembered back to my first congregation. And there I did also preach on the book of James, and I was right on this particular passage. And we had visitors. Visitors from South Holland, scoping for a pastor. In northern Michigan, the people were not dressed very fancy. They had these old leisure suits with odd colors. And here would come in some of these members from this church in South Holland with rings on their fingers. And right away, when I saw them in the congregation, I thought of this particular passage that I would be preaching on that night. Don't show partiality. That is, favor those who are going to help you to get ahead or any other reason. We're going to be judged. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or evil. Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13. Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according to his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Doers of the word defined here by the law of liberty. Judged by the law of liberty. Notice first point, what is this law of liberty? What does it mean? Second of all, what does it mean that we are judged by that law? And then thirdly, observations and injunctions that flow from it. So we read in our passage here, So speak ye, so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. That law is also called by another name in verse 8. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures. That term royal law is unique to the apostle James. It's very important. In connection with the condemnation that comes to counterfeit faith, God is a lawgiver. God gives rules for his kingdom. And we, as citizens of that kingdom, are underneath that royal law. And we are called to carry out that royal law in gratitude for our great salvation. So how are we to act as his creatures, citizens of his kingdom? And the answer is, we have to seek his glory. And we do it through the work of Christ Jesus. The law of liberty, notice it is the law, the moral law, that which you and I hear every Sunday morning, the Ten Commandments. And that is the law that is written on the consciences of all men and women and children. The Ten Commandments are a summary of all that God commands of us in his word. 
And the heart of that law, the heart of that law is love me. Love me and show that love for me by loving your neighbor that is around you. And so it's not arbitrary whether we want to obey or not. God says, keep my commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. As we read in Romans 7 verse 12, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. So we are under the law. But now it is described in our passage as the law of liberty. That might seem like a contradiction, first of all, to us. Are not law and freedom exclusive? Is this a paradox? When as a missionary I went down to Florida, and in one of the worship services down there, I read the law, there was a man irate. He says, we're free of the law. Don't give me the law. Don't read the law. I'm not under the law. Yet our passage talks about the law of liberty. And so what we need to do right away when we look at that phrase is recognize and distinguish between Christian freedom and licentiousness. Christian freedom versus licentiousness. What is licentiousness? When I do whatever I please, when I carry out the desires and the actions of my sinful flesh, that is licentiousness. I believe that no one can tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I please. And what that means is I carry out the actions of my sinful man. I listen to Satan and I listen to the world and its pleasures and the way it carries out its life and I says, I want to be like that. Christian freedom does not mean that we are free from the law. But it means we're free from the curse of the law. You see, this law of liberty is the revelation of the will of God for his redeemed children. When God took his people out of Egypt, the law was given to them not in order to be saved out of Egypt, but rather because they were set free from Egypt. Therefore, the Lord gives them the law. This is now how you're going to show your thankfulness to me. You're going to live for me as you wander in the wilderness and when you come to the promised land. In James 1 verse 25, it is called the perfect law of liberty. The word perfect means completed. It's complete. You see, in the Old Testament, that law was not complete. Then it was only a schoolmaster warning about sin, pointing to their, our need for a Savior. But now the law is complete. In what way? It's complete because it was completely fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ and in the work of Jesus Christ. The law has reached its purpose Christ, precious righteousness, all of his life long, even unto death, yea, the death of the cross. And that righteousness is given to us. The law of liberty is the word of Jesus, which proclaims the glad news of freedom to God's elect. You remember that passage, don't you, that Jesus opened up when he was in the synagogue of, his, of Nazareth? The book was opened to Isaiah chapter 61. And Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim Liberty to the captives 
and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ proclaims liberty to the captives. Do you know that as belonging to you? When those folks in Nazareth heard this man that came from their town, they plugged their ears. They didn't want to hear it. They said, we're not captives. We're not bound. Who are you talking about? Just show us some miracles. They did not know their captivity to sin, the prison of that sinful nature that Jesus came into this world in order to set us free from that bondage to sin and to Satan. Freedom from condemnation. It's freedom from the guilt of sin that weighs down upon us. And it's freedom from the sentence of death. Boys and girls, you'll remember when Israel came into the land of Canaan, they divided into two camps on two different mountains. And from the one mountain, the Levites would proclaim the blessings of the law. And on the other mountain, they would proclaim the curses of the law. And the people said, yay, yay, we fall underneath that. And the only way they could do that is because of the blood theology. There would come a Savior who would carry out that law perfectly in their place for them. Freedom. Freedom not only from the sin and the guilt of it, but also the freedom from bondage and corruption or what we call pollution of sin. The law for the carnal person entices them instead to sin. We read in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. The blessings of the law, but also the curses of the law. Thankfully, when we read the law each Sunday morning, we do that as those who are under Christ Jesus, who perfectly obeyed the commandments even unto death, yea, the death of the cross. He loved his Father dying to do it. So the law of liberty is the freedom that we now have. Freedom to love God. Freedom to love our neighbor. To live in the spirit rather than walking in the works of the flesh. Christ accomplished this for us. He gives us his spirit so that you and I are able to keep the law. And we must keep the law. Christ. Christ. Which law? I said the Ten Commandments. Well, which one would you like to pick? James, as he's addressing the church, says that he who says, okay, I will keep the Seventh Commandment, But in my heart, I'm going to hate my neighbor and I want to kill him. I read a letter from a person in the past week sent to me. They want to attend a church, but they got some family in the church that can't stand them. And she was told, you probably shouldn't come to this church then. My argument would be not with the advice given, But it is, deal with the hatred. Deal with bitterness that you can't have someone else in the church who wants to hear the word of God. A redeemed sinner along with 
you and me. That law is written on our hearts so that we not only do not commit adultery, but also we don't hate. We're not filled with bitterness toward one another. We're not finding arguments with one another. And how easy that is to fall into in the church of Jesus Christ because Satan loves to divide the church. Pull members apart from each other, set pastors against pastors. The law is an indivisible whole. We may not pick and choose and say, I'm going to keep this commandment, maybe not that commandment. For you see, the law of God for his redeemed is kind of like a chain, links of a chain. Let's say there's ten links of that chain. Whether you break it in one spot or whether you break it in all ten spots where they're connected, the chain is broken. And here in the church, maybe they didn't break the seventh commandment. And maybe they didn't break the ninth commandment. And maybe they weren't coveting. But they were showing partiality. I'm going to embrace you, sit next to you, you sit down there by my feet or stand off in the corner. May that not be true of the church of Jesus Christ here. And we can thank God. We can thank God for the unity and the peace that we have been enjoying. Every commandment, broken or one commandment, still you are a transgressor. And this love that we confess that we have for our God who has redeemed us, that love is translated into a love for our neighbor. Therefore, Paul, uh, James is saying, there must be no partiality in the church. And we do well then by fulfilling the royal law. Verse 8, love thy neighbor as thyself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all of this fits in with the whole theme of this book, what is real faith or genuine faith and what is counterfeit faith. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Faith without works is dead. It's dead orthodoxy. It is spiritual apathy. The law of liberty. Keep my commandments. You can do it, Jesus says in his word. You can and you must. <coughs> because Jesus Christ has fulfilled it. And Christ by his spirit dwells in us. And he makes us able to keep his law. Not perfectly. Perfectly in heaven. But the will in the heart to obey God, to show love to God by showing love to each member of his church. James now, talking about that law of liberty, says, So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Where there is law, there is judgment. Verse 10 speaks of sinners and saints alike. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Judged by the law of liberty. Judged when? Well, if you look at it, it is a continued or continuous judging. God continuously judging in our own consciences so that wicked and righteous alone, uh, uh, together, both know whether they are pleasing God or displeasing God. Whether they have God's approval of their life or God's disapproval. God is judging 
by what is in our conscience. Second of all, God is judging by the calamities that come upon this world, wicked world. Look at the tornadoes that are increasing in, for, uh, in fierceness and in number. Look at the different calamities that are taking place all around us. Footsteps. Christ judging this wicked world which is ripe for judgment. Judgment when? At death. At the moment of death when souls depart either for heaven or for hell. And the final judgment. And it is especially the final judgment that now James, by the Holy Spirit, is pointing at. When the deeds done in the body will be judged. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or evil. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. We read in Galatians 3, verse 10. Beloved, God has redeemed us from the curse of the law, and he did it by becoming a curse for us. Galatians 3 verse 13. Christ took that curse in our place. But those who do not believe in Jesus Christ, those who do not believe and love him and serve him, have the curse of God and his law on them. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. So what does that mean as we look forward to the judgment day, that great judgment day when Jesus comes again from heaven? When all those who have died come out of the graves, good and evil. Are you scared? Are you scared about what's going to be revealed there? I want you to notice God's people are not judged there unto salvation. They are not judged as to salvation. There are those who look at our text as a freedom from the covenant of works that they want to talk about. But the covenant was never a covenant of work, not with Adam and nor anyone else. It was always grace. Grace, God came to Adam and Eve and he clothed them. Grace, he comes to us and he takes us out of our sinfulness, our deadness, and makes us alive again. The covenant fellowship with God is not a matter of works, but pure grace. Our being in the covenant is based upon Jesus Christ and his obedience on the cross. And we are saved by grace through faith. And as we read in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, that is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. We stand before God now and on the judgment day as righteous in Jesus Christ earned by Jesus Christ, and that is going to be the ground of our judgment. When we come before him, God in Christ Jesus is going to judge, and Christ, as our advocate, says, I see no evil in him. For his sins have all been removed. I took them on myself. This and that person is righteous before me. The believer, and hear me well, the believer is not to fear the judgment day, but rather we are to look forward to it. 
We're going to look forward to it as a vindication of our righteous cause in the world. It's the cause of Christ Jesus. The salvation of God's people is secure. It was secure already in eternity when God chose us and gave us to Christ. It was secure at the cross of Jesus Christ when he died in our place and took the curse upon himself. And it is secure in our own knowledge and experience by the Holy Spirit. In the Ordo Salutis, you essentials catechumens will remember that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We are regenerated by the Spirit. We are called out of darkness by the Spirit. Faith is given to us and worked in us and strengthened in us. And when we sin and we confess our sins, it is the Spirit of Christ who assures us that those sins are gone, forgiven, never to be held against us, not in this life, nor at the judgment day, nor in heaven. We are not judged unto salvation. Believing in Jesus Christ, we will all be saved. But we will be judged on the judgment day as to our reward. Yes, all believers will have to appear before the, ju uh, the judgment seat of Christ Jesus. We read in Romans 14, verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Or again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So our words and our actions are going to be judged. What was the motive between putting the $10 bill or the $100 bill in the collection plate? Was it a love for God? Or was it so my neighbor down the row from me can see what I just put in? The prayers that I utter in the home or in the office or in the Bible study is it a sincere prayer directed up to the throne of grace or are we heaping up phrases like the Pharisees so that they say, wow, that man can pray? Or when we sing our songs, and I could go through all the lists, couldn't I? Our good works are going to be examined as to the motive behind it. Was it just a show or were those works performed out of a love for God and a love for my neighbor. Not only their intent or their motive, but also according to our ability. For you'll remember, boys and girls, that story about Jesus is watching this elderly lady, very poor. And she comes and she puts her two pennies in the offering plate. How does she compare compared to the man who comes in and has rich clothing and puts in a handful of money? How do we give? Do we give willingly or stingingly? Reluctantly. Oh, here it is, Lord. I know it's the budget I got to pay, but I hate handing it out. Jesus said that woman who gave her two little mites gave far more. She gave all that she had for the Lord. Our works, our motive, our intent, and our ability. For every work is going to be tried. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 and following Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. 
If any man's work abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Salvation by grace does not make us careless. Salvation by grace makes us thankful. It fills our heart with love for God. Grateful for what he has done. Grateful for what he's going to do. And what a beautiful encouragement we have here in this passage. We're going to be judged according to our works as to rewards. You see, God gives us encouragement just as you parents maybe give your children encouragement at times. You want them to do something around the house, or maybe they even ask you, what are you going to pay me? Shame on you boys and girls if you say that. They feed you, they dress you, they put you to a Christian school, they love you. But sometimes you give after a week maybe a little earning money, a little spending money as a reward. That's exactly what Christ Jesus by his Spirit is doing here in this word. We are going to be judged according to our works in that the reward that he's going to give us in heaven What reward will you have? Will I have? You see, there are different levels in heaven and there are different levels in hell. And we will be rewarded according to what we do. And to those who have been given much, much is going to be required. Think of how much has been given to us as members of this church. You and I who have been given the reformed faith that we're saved by grace, that God has this wonderful relationship with us of friendship and fellowship. How grateful are we? What are you? What am I doing with my life, with my material goods, with my talents, with my time? It's all going to be sorted out. Motive, Intent and ability and action. What an encouragement to obedience. You and I who have done, received so much from our Lord Jesus Christ. And here is the incentive laid before us. The more that we do in love for Christ Jesus, the more will be our treasures in heaven. Think of the parable of the different servants. There were two servants that went out and they doubled what the owner had entrusted to them. And what was their reward? They were given more wealth to take care of for the master. And then there was that other servant who took what was given to him buried it in the ground and sat upon it, did nothing with it. And what he had was taken away from him. What has all been given to you and to me? What are we doing with it? There's going to be levels in heaven. Those who have done much for Christ Jesus in this life are going to be given much more to do for him in the new heavens and the new earth. But there's also levels in hell. Those who have received much are responsible for much. And if we bury the gospel, if we bury our time and our talents and our possessions, rather than giving and seeking the kingdom, our judgment will be the heavier. We are able, beloved, we are able and we must do good works. The Holy Spirit works in us to will and to do of God's good pleasure. Notice me, 
Thirdly then, some observations and injunctions that flow from that. Number one, you mean I have to obey the law? You mean I have to give to kingdom causes? You mean I have to love every person in the church of Jesus Christ? I can't have just a few friends? To the believer, the law is a law of liberty. We've been freed from our sins, freed from the guilt of sin, but also freed from the pollution of sin. We're no longer chained to sin. We've been set free. Whereas to the unbeliever, to the unbeliever, God's law is a law of bondage and death. We serve our God without fear, without slavish fear. The law is not a harsh and impossible taskmaster for us. In the Old Testament, yes, who could keep the law? No one could. But Jesus came. He kept the law for us in our place. And his righteousness is given to us. And therefore, we delight in the law. We delight in the law because it's mixed with the gospel. To those whom much is given, much is going to be required, and there's going to be much reward. We shall be judged by that law at the last day. Yes, the books are going to be opened. That is, our consciences are going to be opened. And our works are going to be displayed. And those works of the righteous are evidences of God's glory and God's work in us and evidence of our union with Christ Jesus. That's really what the judgment day is all about, isn't it? It's not, first of all, I and you and everyone else. It's about our God. Do you remember how God took delight in his servant Job? And he says to Satan, have you seen my righteous servant Job? God was reveling in his glory what he had done in Job's life and is doing in Job's life. And the same thing is true with you and me as we live for Christ Jesus. God working in us, we are active. We will and we do of God's pleasure. And so our text is here by James to his congregation as he's writing to them and now to us today, an appeal. An appeal to cultivate this holiness in our life. Look at verse 13. Or at verse 13. Get back to it here. Verse 12. Cultivate holiness. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. What warnings are there? May our religion not be some dead orthodoxy. May it, not, may it not lack spirituality. As we have been redeemed in Christ and we are filled with his spirit, so speak, so act. And we get to James chapter 3 especially. Then we're going to see the evils of the tongue. So speak as those who are redeemed and indwelt by the Spirit. Or Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word which men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Idle words, bad jokes, whether sexual or really blasphemy of Christ, we're going to give an account. What a warning. So do. In other words, our actions have to be consistent with the confession of our lips. I'm not my own, but I belong to Jesus Christ. 
For as we read in the scriptures, it's not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, that's going to be accepted into heaven. There will be many whom the Lord will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. So speak ye, so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath shown no mercy. Let's stop there. Are you merciful? Do you take pity and care about all the saints in the church, not just a few, if their name is the right name? If they're sick, then you bring your meals to them, but if you're someone else, well, not many meals brought. I don't think that of this congregation. As we have received mercy from God, we show mercy to one another. But what's that last little phrase? And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What does that mean? You see, mercy is an attribute of God, isn't it? God takes pity on us poor sinners. He suffers with them in agony and misery. He longs to deliver them from their woes. He makes them happy forevermore. You see, God's mercy is not just a desire, but it's a power that accomplishes his will. So what does it mean that mercy rejoiceth against judgment? And beloved, to understand that last part of our passage, you and I need to look at the cross of Jesus. Mercy never cancels out judgment. They are together in Christ Jesus. But there is mercy for us because God poured out his judgment on Jesus Christ in our place. And he loves us. And if God shows us that mercy, may you and I also then be merciful to one another and to all. Not showing partiality to this one because it will be to my advantage, no. And that has to be a continuous activity day after day because we're all sinners, aren't we? Redeemed sinners, but we're sinners and we're going to offend one another at times. May there be this continuous activity then of showing mercy. May it be a characteristic of our entire life as it is an attribute of our God. That is our positive calling. May our outward activity show what's in our heart. Love for God. Love for our neighbor. To speak and to do. That's an injunction to us. To speak or to do for our neighbors, whether that be our wife or our husband, whether it be our fellow saints, whether it be our children, whether it be the wicked around us or the holy around us, whether it be the small or the great around us, whether it be children or it be adults, no partiality, show mercy as God in Christ Jesus has shown mercy to us. Mercy rejoices in judgment that came upon Jesus Christ at our place. Amen. Father in heaven, give us listening ears that we may be an active church, a church that acts out of love for thee and therefore love for our neighbor, showing mercy to one another as we have received that mercy from thee. Send us forth then, ready to labor in the kingdom, to be shining lights to thy glory and to the good of our neighbors around us. Amen. Let's turn in our soldiers to number 326. Look especially at stanza three. Here's our text. And I will walk at liberty because thy truth I seek. 
Thy truth before the kings of earth with boldness I will speak. Let's sing all four stanzas of 326. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be yours. Amen.